Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. Welcome back to another mini-sode of Life After MLM. So this is going to be a continuation story of last week, but I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. I wanted to share with everybody something really cool that happened to me this past weekend. Uh, I was asked to be a speaker at the We Lead conference at Iowa State University. So I flew into Des Moines on Friday and uh, hopped in a cab drove to Ames. It was so funny because we were talking about like where we were from and she had lived in San Diego. And so we were sort of talking about that. And she's like, you look so familiar. Do I know you from San Diego? And uh, she asked me what I was in town for. And I told her that I was (laughs) talking about basically, you know, like anti-MLM. And uh, my speech was about beyond boss babe and reluctant leadership and what that looks like and how that manifests. In fact, I might even turn my two speeches into Patreon bonuses if anybody is interested. So my cab driver's like, wait a second, you look really familiar. And I thought maybe I knew you from San Diego. She's like, oh my God, Lula Rich. (laughs) And I was like, hi, that's me. (laughs) So it was really interesting. And then the second half of the cab ride was all about anti-MLM. And she had told me that she had just started listening to The Dream and she watched Lula Rich. And uh, I told her to listen to the podcast. So maybe she's listening right now and... What a lovely cab ride, and thank you so much for getting me safely to my hotel in Ames, because the next day was the speech. There was also a Sooners game. If you follow along on uh, TikTok and Instagram, you saw that I was making some fun little content and some jokes. And then you also saw that there were some familiar faces. It was really great and in total happenstance, but Iowa was in driving distance of both Jenny Wild and Michelle Carpenter. And so they came to watch my speech and be my emotional support friends. And it was really cool. And I got to meet them in person. And then I also got to meet a follower who has become a friend, um, Alex. It was just a really, really cool experience. And so I want to say thank you so much to Haley and so, so, so much to Dr. Susan. Thank you. What an incredible experience. Your tour of the campus was so great. Iowa State University is not only a beautiful campus, but just, oh my gosh, it was just wonderful. I never in my wildest dreams thought that any of this stuff would ever happen to me, which was also part in my reluctant leadership speech. So, wow, I just a full circle for me in in realizing that, you know, you can take, (laughs) you can take lemons and make lemonade, like Mark told us to do, that we needed to take those lemons and turn them into lemonade. And I, I really, I really feel like I have done that. And this year so far has been such an incredible year. And it is also definitely in part to you guys for being here and listening. And uh, I just wanted to share this really cool experience um, because a lot of you have been here from the beginning and it's just wonderful to be able to experience this with you guys, if you know what I mean. So enough of the mushy stuff. Uh, this was a very interesting story. I had to turn it into a two-parter because it gets really confusing and convoluted and then like the CIA gets involved and then all of a sudden, and really for me, it was about that strange conversation that Thomas Wilhite had with his friend right before his allegedly tampered with plane went down. And so I wanted to look into what happened to the other person in that conversation and who he was 
uh, just briefly, you know, just like, oh, who is this guy? And that led me on such a massive, deep rabbit hole. It's taken me quite a while to piece this together. There still is a lot of like hearsay and like, this is what one person says, but this is what another person says. And I'm just going to lay out everything that I found. You guys can make the decision what you think actually happened and who's really at fault and blame. And, you know, it's a very interesting story. And a quick little content warning before we start, we do talk about not only a suicide, but an attempted murder. It is a very quick little blip, but there is some detail. So I wanted to let you know, in case that is triggering to you, that you can just skip ahead and not have to listen to that. Anyway, let's get into it. So last week, we learned about the founder of PSI, Thomas Wilhite, and all of his connections to the human potential movement, William Penpatrick, and oddly enough, the CIA. And that one really threw me for a loop. And I learned that my late night rabbit holes can get really deep. And even though this story wasn't a part of the original story, and it was really just a small mention in an obscure article, it intrigued me. There are so many things that we talk about on the show that are just the tip of so many icebergs. And looking into who everyone is and how everyone is connected, I think that's important. Plus, it makes for this really fun bonus content, right? So where were we? Something about a CIA cover-up, a Ponzi scheme, an alleged conversation between Thomas Wilhite and Ron Rewald about Ron being a CIA fall guy, and Thomas vowing to expose the truth to the media, but it never happened because Thomas died in a mysterious plane crash just hours before the press conference, right? So who is Ron Rewald and what is all of this about the CIA? From what I found quickly about Ron Rewald, he had allegedly attended MIT and Marquette, worked for the CIA, played professional football for the Cleveland Browns, and owned sporting goods stores across Illinois, Minnesota, and Ohio. But there was also quite a bit of evidence that a lot of this may have been exaggerated, but who really knows for sure. So I started digging, and this is what I found. Ron Rewald was born in 1942 in Wisconsin. He attended the Milwaukee Institute of Technology, and while there, worked for the CIA on Operation MH Chaos, a college project that consisted of spying on students and monitoring underground anti-government activity during the mid-1960s. Ron's CIA alias was Winter Dog. There was evidence that Milwaukee Institute of Technology was a fabrication, and that he only attended the Milwaukee Area Technical College. But again, who really knows for sure? There were also other claims that he spied for the CIA at the University of Wisconsin-Madison before attending Marquette University, where he played football. Rewald's football skills got the attention of professional teams in the NFL and AFL, and at some point, he signed with the Cleveland Browns in 1965 and trained with the Kansas City Chiefs in 1966. After his football career ended, Ron got married, had five kids, and moved into a house on Lake Michigan. He became president of a sporting goods store in Wisconsin called College Athletic. It was a company that sold sporting goods to schools, and he expanded the business across Illinois, Minnesota, and Ohio. Eventually, though, the business ended up in bankruptcy because of fraud, and Ron pled guilty to criminal charges. Authorities said that he had violated Wisconsin laws while trying to sell franchises for the stores. After that, he packed up his family and relocated to Hawaii in 1977. Once settled in Honolulu, he opened an investment consulting company called Consolidated Mutual Investment Corporation. According to one of the sources that I found, this is when the CIA came back into Ron's life wanting to use his business to take over for Nugenhan Bank after its cover was blown and the operation had been abandoned. 
Nugent Hand Bank was an Australian investment bank that collapsed in 1980 after the suicide of one of its founders. News stories suggested that the bank had been involved in illegal activities, including drug smuggling, arranging weapons deals, and providing a front for the CIA. So in 1978, Rewald established an investment firm in Hawaii called Bishop, Baldwin, Rewald, Dillingham, and Wong. The firm's name incorporated the names of Rewald and his partner, Sunlin Wong, along with the names of three prominent Kama'aina, meaning someone who is Hawaiian-born, but not indigenous to Hawaii, Charles Reed Bishop, Henry Alexander Baldwin, and Benjamin Dillingham, well-known historical, political, and philanthropic figures from Hawaii's history. And in 1979, the CIA allegedly began operating and funding BBRDW, staffing it with many of the same high-level people that had been involved with Nugenhand. By the end of 1980, BBRDW had offices in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Indonesia, Singapore, and Australia, all former Nugenhand bank locations, staffing each office with at least 30 CIA agents. For appearances, Ron was placed as the head of BBRDW. And with this title, he enjoyed substantial financial excess. He moved his family into a house worth close to a million dollars in a fancy beachfront neighborhood. He drove expensive cars and enjoyed the finer things in life. Because of his charm and athletic prowess, the CIA felt that he would be able to snare dignitaries from foreign countries, and he began traveling all over the world, from Taipei to London to Paris. The CIA even encouraged him to learn how to play polo and other high-profile activities to meet influential people. So Ron became an international polo player, later buying the Hawaii Polo Club with BBRDW money. He eventually met and rubbed elbows with the Sultan of Brunei, who ended up transferring 7 billion, yes, billion with a B, from British banks to U.S. banks. The CIA was reaping the benefits of Ron's lavish FOMO life and wanted him to maintain it, so they funded these activities through other covert CIA operations. The entire time, Ron is being coached by CIA station chiefs. Is this sounding like hauntingly familiar to other hierarchical structures to anyone else, or is it just me? So this is how the CIA front worked. BBRDW would provide documents, business cards, offices, phone numbers, basically whatever the agents needed for cover. And BBRDW would send out fictitious bills to explain the funds. So I guess like legal money laundering. And here's what BBRDW was actually doing. One, supplying arms to foreign countries that was otherwise illegal under federal law, but okay and carried out under CIA orders. Two, setting up banks and trusts for CIA money laundering. So yeah, right there, legal money laundering. Three, acquiring the plans for the Japanese high-speed surface transport with a $27,000 bribe. Four, funding CIA operations, including assassinations, and oddly enough, Five, soliciting private investors to appear legitimate and co-mingling funds. Yes, you heard that right. And Ron Rewald began to solicit investments with a claim that BBRDW was insured by the FDIC and had a 20% guaranteed annual return. In fact, CIA agents hired by the firm as cover were oblivious to the red flags and invested their life savings and those of their relatives into BBRDW. But Ron was simply using the funds from the new investors to pay the original ones and splurge the rest on himself to live in luxury. Now, 
I've got a Bernie Madoff episode coming up that will explain this type of scam in great detail, but maybe you already see where this is going. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Ponzi scheme is a type of investment fraud that pays profits to previous investors with the money lured in from new investors. It is named after Italian businessman and swindler Charles Ponzi. In the early 1920s, he promised a 50% profit within 45 days or a 100% profit within 90 days 
by buying discounted postal reply coupons in other countries and redeeming them at face value in the U.S. But he quickly began diverting money to make payments to earlier investors as well as himself. It's also sometimes known as a Rob Peter to pay Paul scheme. And while he was not the first, he was the most prolific at the time, and thus his name became synonymous with the scheme. Charles Ponzi's scam ran for a year before it collapsed, costing his, quote, investors $20 million, roughly $270 million in today's money. But let's get back to Ron Rewald. During the Falklands War between Argentina and the UK in 1982, Ron went to Argentina and Chile under the guise of playing polo to obtain intelligence information for the CIA, though it seems Ron was kept out of the loop over the more shocking things that BBRDW was involved with including drug smuggling and the laundering of the drug money. The same year, the IRS gets suspicious of BBRDW and begins an investigation into the firm. In 1983, five years after his arrival, Rewald's high-flying life began collapsing. A local news reporter named Barbara Tanabe had been tipped off about BBRDW and its financial, quote, irregularities, by Chinese officials who were angry with BBRDW's campaign to move money out of Hong Kong and into the U.S., but they didn't know that the business was a CIA front. This attention prompted Hawaiian officials to investigate the firm and in doing so, potentially expose the CIA. On Friday, July 27, 1983, at 7.30 a.m., Ron had a meeting with his partner Sonny for about half an hour, followed by a few meetings with an assortment of attorneys and accountants. A noon interview was scheduled with two other BBRDW executives by the local television station, allegedly involving the Hong Kong capital flight study that they had just completed. At 11.30 a.m., Ron walked to a small Catholic church for noon mass. It was about a 20-minute walk, and it was his weekly ritual that he had observed over the years. It was known to only his secretaries and security people. As the mass was ending, Calvin Gunderson, head of BBRDW security, came in and asked Rewald to step outside. Sue said to tell you we're blown, Gunderson opened. That TV reporter, Barbara Tanabe, she lied. She wasn't there for an interview about the Hong Kong study. It was like she knew there was something more. She was acting like a Mike Wallace without the brain power. Newland and Holzer are good attorneys, but they weren't prepared for her questions, especially on camera. Usually, when a cover is potentially blown, the standard practice is for Washington CIA and Justice Department officials to block the investigation, but... This one had far too much media attention at this point, and the only option was to bounce as fast as possible. The agency pulled funds from multiple bank accounts in Hong Kong, London, Switzerland, Singapore, and the Cayman Islands, in case anyone needs recommendations for offshore investing, and transferred all of it to other CIA fronts, including the private commingled funds that BBRDW had taken to look legit. Before the cover was blown, BBRDW had taken millions of dollars from investors with the astounding promise of 20% returns. But the investigative report found that the returns were non-existent. The firm had claimed that the funds were guaranteed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the FDIC, up to $150,000, and that minimum returns of 20% annually were guaranteed. But the firm was not a chartered bank, and it was not eligible for FDIC insurance. From there, a fountain of lies gushed forth. It turned out that Rewald hadn't graduated from Marquette University. He falsely told investors that the firm had been around since the 1910s and that Elvis Presley had been a client. Even the name of the firm was fake. No one named Bishop, Baldwin, or Dillingham, three of Hawaii's 
most well-known families had anything to do with the business. I mean, we all know now it's because it was a CIA front, but the CIA pieced out and leaves Ron Rewald as the fall guy for the whole scam. Remember that conversation between him and Thomas Wilhite? Thomas says, there's a big cover-up going on. They've completely disavowed any knowledge of you. You are being left out to dry, pure and simple. I'm calling a press conference for tomorrow at the ranch. I'm going to tell the media everything. Tell them this is all a CIA cover-up and that you were just following orders. And Ron comes back with, Tom, you can't do that. I have an agreement with the agency. They assured me that as long as I keep quiet, Nancy and the children will be taken care of. They will take care of me as soon as this all cools down. So don't do this. It's not necessary. And Thomas responds, they're lying to you, Ron. I assure you they are destroying every bit of evidence. They are shutting us all up, transferring others to who knows where. All the bank accounts are being emptied. Believe me, you are being abandoned and set up. You know what plausible deniability is all about. And then the next day before the press conference, Thomas Wilhite's allegedly tampered with plane goes down once it hits a thousand feet and he dies instantly. Remember that? Okay. So on July 29th, the media was on the verge of exposing everything. Ron's face was plastered on the evening news and he decided that it was too much. So Thomas was right. Ron is being made the scapegoat and gets zero support from his former CIA handlers. He shows up at the office of his station chief and he leaves him a message. Jack, this is the chairman. I'm checking into the Sheraton Waikiki under the name Ronald Imp. Status urgent. Mayday. I will be waiting for your call. So Ron checks into room 1632 at the Sheraton Waikiki and writes a letter to his family. He asked for their forgiveness and he told them how much he loved them all. He said that they deserved better for a husband and a father, and that he never thought he would be abandoned, and that he had trusted people who had let him down, that he had started out working for his country, the country he loved. The rest of the note was private for the family, but he stressed that he was sorry he had let his wife down. He prayed for them and for his soul, and then he reached for a bottle of codeine and gulped down 24 tablets. Once numbed and reeling with depression, Ron continued to pray until unconscious. Here's where it gets even wilder. Ron had kept all of his contacts and financial transactions in a green covered book, and the CIA wanted it bad. It contained information about secret bank accounts, CIA aliases, account numbers, and identities of many high-profile people in politics and intelligence. And while Ron is in and out of consciousness, two CIA agents allegedly enter his room looking for the book. Because Ron was so groggy from the pills, he wasn't cooperating, and the agents dragged him to the bathroom and tortured him for answers, driving a knife into his arms and leaving him to bleed out. Fortunately, a hotel employee found his body and he was rushed to a hospital in Honolulu. When asked about Rewald, the current CIA station chief claimed he had no idea who he was and that the CIA was not involved with BBRDW at all, and he only knew of what he had read in the papers. The CIA was in massive cover-up mode. Six days later, BBRDW was forced into bankruptcy, and Ron Rewald was arrested on August 8, 1983 after his hospital stay and was charged with two counts of theft by deception. Ron Rewald was held in lieu of a $10 million bail and faced 100 charges and a maximum of 400 years in prison for his crimes. His partner, Sun Lin Wong, pled guilty and received two years. The CIA cover-up investment firm in actuality was a Ponzi scheme that they claim sucked in 
$22 million from roughly 400 investors, including friends, widows, and a blind man. After his arrest, Ronk claimed that during his international travels, he'd been collecting information for the CIA. He'd been working on clandestine arms deals. In fact, he let everyone know that the whole firm was a front for the CIA operatives, and that the only way for him to actually repay his investors was to gain access to the secret bank account in the Cayman Islands that the CIA had funneled the money into. During his trial, the government had been forced to reveal more than it had wanted to about the CIA's relationship with BBRDW. Although at first the agency had denied any connections with the company, it later allowed that its offices had used the organization as a, quote, light cover, deploying the firm to provide telephone numbers, telex, and business cards for agents and officers so that when they posed as business people, they could have actual verifiable resources to back up their stories. Testimony by CIA officers indicated that the agency has a branch that makes agreements with bona fide businesses to create the illusion that its agents are employees of the companies. And it's true. Under such arrangements, the companies fictitiously list these agents on their payrolls and issue them business cards and stationery and agree to confirm their employment to any callers, a process that's called backstopping. They admitted that Ron Rewald would sometimes report to the CIA office about his conversations with foreign businessmen. He claimed he was a covert agent for the CIA who gathered intelligence and that his firm was a cover for 22 CIA agents and a conduit for money laundering. John H. Mason, a member of the corporate cover branch in the late 1970s, testified that after a one-hour meeting with Mr. Rewald in 1978, he recruited him to provide cover for the CIA operatives who needed an alias for a planned attempt to recruit as a spy an unidentified foreign national who was temporarily in the country. They said that Mr. Rewald had made a good impression and that he appeared very patriotic and pro-agency. The next year, they wrote an even more glowing appraisal of Mr. Rewald for the Office of Security, calling him a champion sprinter, a former professional football player, a pilot, a devout churchgoer, and a hugely successful businessman whose business associates included members of some of Hawaii's oldest families, Elvis Presley, and other Hollywood stars. In November 1985, Ron Rewald was convicted of two counts of theft and eventually indicted a year later on 94 counts of fraud, tax evasion, perjury, and other federal crimes and sentenced to 80 years in prison. In 1995, he was released on parole from the Federal Correction Institution on Terminal Island, California. He remained on parole until 2001. In 2010, Rewald was living in Los Angeles and working as a director of operations for the APA Talent Agency in Beverly Hills. A company official confirmed his death to the Honolulu Star Advisor in March 2018. So there we go. That is the story of Ron Rewald and this strange sort of like CIA cover-up, where the CIA actually had to admit that they do all the things that people think they do. Um, And I I just thought it was really interesting as I went down this rabbit hole, all of the things that I uncovered and all of the connections I made. Yeah, I know I mentioned the Bernie Madoff episode, which is coming up. And there were just, there were so many connections. There's just so many connections. And once you start looking into these things and you start learning these stories and you start seeing these names, you're like, wow, It's all connected. (laughs) It's just so insidious. Ah. Anyway, this is the first episode sort of going into our culty education, talking about sort of this secretive stuff that happens that not a lot of people talk about, but actually does happen. I have some incredible 
interviews lined up for this month. You guys are going to be so excited. We are not doing an MLM focus. It is a cult focus. So we are going to be talking to survivors of other cults and talking about the similarities between MLM and really just driving it home that MLM is a cult. So you can follow along on social media as well. Uh, We've teamed up with the I Got Out Foundation. So you can go there. Um, Also out of MLM.info has all of the information as well. And I am going to be teaming up with a couple other anti-MLM podcasters to bring you guys cult stories all this month. So if you have a cult story, whether it is an MLM or it was something else that you got involved in, or maybe just a one-on-one cult, all of those stories are valid and all of those stories count. And we would love to be able to either have you tell it in the form of a voice message that you can send me on SpeakPipe, or I can read it, or one of my podcaster friends can read it for our cult stories. And you can submit those either as an email to me, or you can go to outofmlm.info and there is a submission form there as well. And that way you are completely anonymous. So thank you so much. Uh, Get excited about November and cult month. Here's to our second year teaming up with the I Got Out Foundation to bring you guys even more education about this. And I will see you on Sunday. I mean, I guess I'm not really going to see you, but you will hear me on Sunday with the beginning of our cult stories. We'll see you Sunday. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.